Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 10 verse 7. I want to get straight into this tonight and uh, I haven't uh, shared this message at Activate before. Um, uh, This was a message I wrote a couple of months ago and I like to preach messages that are fresh, that uh, are from the heart of God as a now word and this morning uh, definitely was that and I believe hopefully tonight will be too for you. John chapter 10 verse 7 and Jesus says to the disciples, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's so good. I'm going to read it again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject, don't get the thief and the Lord mixed up. Don't get the thief and the Lord mixed up. I heard a true story recently about a lady that had a pet python snake that stopped eating. And uh, she had this snake for several years. And, and if you're a snake owner here, we, we can pray for you at the end of this service. But um, she had a pet python snake. She loved it. She treated it like, I don't know, like a pet dog or something. And, uh, but everything she fed this snake... The snake wouldn't eat it. And so after several weeks of this happening, this lady takes the snake to the local vet and gets the snake checked out. The vet, as he's doing the, the um, uh, procedure, he starts to ask this lady questions. And one of the questions he asked the lady was, do you ever take the snake out of its enclosure? And the lady said, oh yeah, all the time. And he said, well, what do you do when the snake is out of the enclosure? And she said, oh, sometimes, you know, I just have it wrapped around me. Other times, you know, I may have a nap on the bed and have the snake next to me on the bed. And, and, uh, and he said, um, oh, that's interesting. Like, how long would you have a nap for? And he, she said, oh, I don't know, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And he said, what position is the snake in? often when you wake up. And she said, oh, I've noticed it's not called up. It's all elongated and all stretched out. And the vet said, well, I have good news and I have bad news for you. The good news is there's nothing wrong with your snake. The bad news is, is your python snake is not eating because it's making room in its stomach for you, sizing you up, looking to swallow you whole. And I began to think about that crazy story and thought how some of us spiritually are sleeping with the snake and not realizing that the snake, the enemy, the adversary of our souls is sizing us up and is looking to swallow us whole. You see, in this passage in John chapter 10, 
we read that Jesus contrasts the thief and the Lord. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness, life in all of its abundance. You see, the thief is the original snake who in Genesis chapter 3 masquerades himself to be something he wasn't, to steal dominion away from our original parents, Adam and Eve, and take from them something that they thought something was going to be given to them and added to them. If they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan outrightly lied to them and said, if you will eat this tree, you shall be like God. Adam and Eve concluded, God may be keeping something from us and the snake wants to add something to us. They got the thief and the Lord mixed up way back there in the beginning. You see, unfortunately, like Adam and Eve, too many of us are still getting the thief and the Lord mixed up in our lives. Whenever we believe the lies of the enemy and we doubt the truth of God's word in our lives, we get the thief and the Lord mixed up. And nowhere is this more seen than when we listen to condemnation over conviction. You see, you've got to understand one of the strategies of Satan in our lives is to condemn us and remind us of past struggles, past sins, past mistakes, past regrets, things we wish we could take back, things that have shamed us in the past. He wants to name us and shame us. He wants to intimidate us through condemnation into a spiritual corner of our lives so that he can paralyze our faith from activating the promises of God in our lives. You see, the Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you find yourself being constantly defeated, weighed down by bad habits, by by mistakes in your past, by sins that you've committed in your past, and, and, and you've asked for forgiveness. You feel like you've brought them to God and, and God's Spirit has empowered you to be able to change how you approach those things. You no longer need to live under the weight of condemnation in your life. Condemnation and conviction are two different things. John 16 tells us when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When conviction comes, it's to empower you to live in alignment with your new creation reality as a son or daughter of God. But when condemnation comes, condemnation comes to paralyze you into a lifestyle of your old sinful nature in order to get you to habitually uh, uh, activate or, or, or behave in certain ways that are according to your sin nature, not according to your Christ nature. Now, for me, this was a real experience many years ago. Um, I attended a, a Catholic boys' college in the early 90s. Some of you would remember the 90s. And, um, and, and I remember I was on the track team and uh, we trained several mornings before school, and we'd go to the gym, we'd work out, the coach would do the strength workout with us, and I remember over a series of weeks, I would look at those weights, and I would covet those weights. Some people covet Ferraris, some people covet big houses, some people covet, you know, girlfriends and boyfriends, I, I coveted weights. I've got issues. All right, so 
and I was there and I was like, you know what? Those weights, that set of weights would look really good in my garage. True story. And so, you know, I thought I meditate upon this. I allowed sin to fester in my heart about this. And, and, and I should have just gone to my parents and say, hey, mom, dad, can you buy me a weight set? But no, I wanted those weights in my garage. And so if you were a school teacher in the staff room looking out back across the ovals, you would have seen a student. We don't know who that student was because there was no CCTV footage. So we're not real sure who that is. But there was a student that was dragging about 80 to 100 kilos of weights across the back oval to their garage at home. True story. We don't know how it got there, but all I know is one day I walked into my garage and there are the weights. They just magically appeared. And so for several months, and, and I'm working out there in the gym getting, you know, strong for the track season, and, and I'm loving people around the gym at school, like, where are those? Well, I've got no idea. And so we'd, we'd be there, and, and, and pretty soon after a few months, I forgot about the weights. Ten years passed. I am now an ordained minister of the gospel. I am a man of God. I am the youth and young adult pastor up at a church at Mount Evelyn. And I'm traveling around and I'm preaching all over the country. And God's opening doors at conferences and youth events. And I've got this big youth conference coming up. I'm believing God to move. And I'm in my bedroom and I'm praying. I'm saying, God, oh, would you anoint me with your spirit? Would you fill me with power? God, would you move with conviction on the the hearts of those who would hear this word? And I paused to take a breath and I heard these words, take back the weights. Now you've got to keep in mind, this is 10 years past. I'm thinking, take back the weights. I read a verse about that, Hebrews 12, lay aside the weights, the sin which clings so closely. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. I'll lay aside the weights, whatever they may be. I continue to pray and the Holy Spirit says, take back the weights. And finally, a light bulb moment. I realize I've never taken back those weights. So I go back into the garage and there they are. They're they're rusty and they're gathering dust. Hadn't used them for years. I'd moved on. And and so I'm like, but God, all of a sudden the voice of condemnation comes in. Oh, you should be so ashamed of that. You're a man of God now. You can't take back those weights. How embarrassing. What will people say about you? And, And all of us have experienced at one time, knowing we've got to say sorry, knowing we've got to go back and right the wrong, but condemnation and shame came in. And I wrestled, this wrestle between conviction and condemnation. Finally, thank God, I listened to the voice of conviction. I loaded up the car. I drove to the school. True story. I parked in the school car park, and it was like deja vu, dragging 100 kilos of weights across the car park, going, I can't believe I'm doing this. I go into the reception. I explain the story. But now I'm an experienced preacher, so now I can really add some color to the story. And so... Now I tell the story. She knows exactly what's going on. She smiles and she said, I'll take care of them for you. And there was nothing that came of it. But I walked out of that office and I just felt so much lighter. and, and, And I felt like the burden was off. No pun intended. Take back the weights. And, and, and I got to the conference and I saw more miracles. I saw more young people get saved. I saw a move of God more than I'd ever seen before in my ministry, but it came out of listening to the voice of conviction rather than listening to the voice of condemnation. 
don't get the thief and the Lord mixed up in your life. Because if you listen to condemnation, you'll be listening to the thief. And the thief will come and steal, kill and destroy. But the voice of conviction will lead you into abundant life. Not only that, but I think we get the the thief and the Lord mixed up when we choose isolation over community. In 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says, Our adversary, the original thief, the original snake... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you notice anything about lions in the wild, if you've ever seen a documentary or ever heard someone, uh, a tour guide sort of talking to you about the nature of lions, lions don't attack the herd. They don't attack the pack. They attack the stray, disconnected, isolated, weak animal Because it's an easy target. Satan does exactly the same thing in our lives. Genesis 2.18, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Now the reason that was said is not just because, you know, um, that it's just good to have relationship. It's for a safety reason. The reason is, is that isolation is the devil's playground. You isolate yourself from the community of faith. You isolate yourself from relationships that, that encourage you in your faith journey, that encourage you in your intimacy with God and your prayer life. And all of a sudden what happens is, is you become an easy target. You become someone that the enemy targets and goes after and attacks because you're isolated from the safety of the group. Dr. Robert Putman did a study of 500,000 people over 25 years and he discovered what we already know through common sense, that currently in our culture and generation, there is a pandemic of isolation and disconnection that is fueled by technology. I even see it when I look at my kids and, and I've got a, a 14, 12 and 10 year old and, and already technology is like taken over their world and I'm trying to help them understand, hey, it's healthy to actually have a conversation every now and then and to communicate because I want to raise children and, and as people of God, in the house of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to be able to connect with people, have a reason for the hope that we have and be a part of a community of faith beyond the community of Facebook. Having thousands of friends on Facebook does not mean you're doing life in community. In fact, it could mean totally the opposite. That you're totally disconnected from real relationships in a real world. Back in 2014, I was at the Tour de France in Paris and I was watching and waiting for the cyclists to come by. And you wait for several hours. There's something like a million spectators And so once you find your spot on the fence, you don't move for eight hours, literally. And so forget going to the toilet, forget whatever. It's like, hold on till Jesus comes. And so you're there and you're just standing on the fence. So what do you do? Well, I'm an Aussie and Aussies are friendly. And so you begin to have a conversation with people. You talk to this person for four hours. You want to change and talk to this person for the next four hours. And so I'm talking to this lady. She's an American lady. And she introduces herself in the most bizarre way. She says, I am an atheist, feminist, sex therapist. And I said to myself, Lord Jesus, help me right now. 
I said, that's very interesting. And I meant it. I genuinely meant it. And she was telling me how she'd just been in the red light district of Amsterdam for the last 12 months and for her master's thesis studying all the unique sex ways in, in Amsterdam. And so I'm like, I'm getting an education, right? And so, and, and, and so I'm like, that's fascinating. And, 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 and so anyway, she goes, what do you do for a living? I go, you don't want to know. She goes, no, I really do. I said, I'm not too sure about that. And, and, and anyway, I started to talk about what I did. And finally, the conversation got really personal. She started to share how her parents, she'd been raised in the church. Her parents were elders at a church. But many, many years ago, she'd left church. But she said to me an interesting thing. She said, no one does community like the local church. Here is an atheist on the other side of the world confessing that she's seen nothing like the community of the local church. I was in Poland last year preaching at a conference, and I'm at a particular church before the conference, and on a Saturday night, we had a prophetic night. And so I start to share some words with some people, and uh, I share, God highlights an individual to me, and I start to, uh, you know, light this guy's life up and, and just share with him a word, that, that, that I thought was good. He, he, he didn't look so excited about it. Um, but he's looking at me like, you know, uh, what's going on? He's looking at me. He's looking at the pastor. He's looking at me. He's looking at the pastor. I'm thinking something's missing here. And uh, at the end of the service, he comes up to me. The pastor comes up to me and he says, um, hey, thanks for what you said about me, but I don't believe any of it. I'm an atheist. And in the word was all about leadership and ministry and all this sort of thing. And the pastor had the biggest smile on his face. And the pastor says, this, we love this guy so much. Since the start of the church, the church was nine months old. This guy has brought more people into the life of the church than any, any other believer in the life of the church. And the dude isn't even a Christian. <laughs> I'm like... I'm like, this is amazing. This is fascinating. Like, literally, we could point to two dozen people that this guy had brought. And I'm like, help me understand. You call yourself an atheist. You, you don't believe this, but yet this is the fruit of your life. And he says, the reason I'm here every time the door opens is because no one loves me like this group of people. And he said, I want everyone I know to experience the same love that I have experienced in this community of faith. And I'm thinking to myself, if two atheists in the dark continent of Europe can get it, how much more the people of God in Australia? But unfortunately for many of us, we disconnect from the local church because of unresolved offence. We've got bitterness and we've got offense towards that church or the pastor or something was said we don't agree with or someone hurt us in church. And what I want us to do tonight is we've got to get God's perspective on this. Think about Noah's Ark. Think about the, the floodwaters destroying the earth. Literally gazillions of people die. They're all waging a rebellious war against God. There's no such thing as grace. The cross hasn't happened. And so God wipes out planet Earth, but one family, Noah and his family and the ark. Now, when 
Two of every pair of every animal comes onto the ark and they spend literally weeks, if not months, on the ark. Do you not think that there's going to be some smells and some dirt and some issues in Noah's ark that the family has to put up with? I mean, they've got grizzly bears, they've got elephants, they've got zebras. I mean, you know, just come around the corner and a zebra's sort of a giraffe's looking at you, a zebra's looking at you. There's all sorts of crazy things. There's all sorts of bugs and in- there's a lot of problems on the ark. But how many of us know it's far better to be in Noah's ark than to drown in the floodwaters of the world? Fast forward to the New Testament. The church is a picture. Noah's ark is a metaphor for the local church. There might be some smells in the church. There might be some issues. Just make sure you don't smell. There might be some dirt in the church. There might be some things wrong with the bride of Christ, but it isn't the bride of Frankenstein. It's the bride of Christ. And so I would rather be in the bride than drowning in the sin and the sorrow of the world. Get God's perspective on community. Stop isolating yourself. Stop worrying about getting hurt because of the last time and open up your heart. Listen, if you live at, for any length of time on this planet, you will get hurt even by well-meaning people. You cannot live afraid of rejection or getting hurt. You've got to live a, if you're going to live a full life, if you're going to live an abundant life, you've got to live with an open heart. We get the thief and the Lord mixed up when we choose busyness over intimacy. The most common response to the question, how are you, is I'm busy. I am yet to hear someone answer that question by saying, I am prospering beyond my wildest dreams and just having a blast of a time. I mean, if someone answered that question, how are you today, and you got that answer, you'd be like, man, whatever you're drinking, I need to drink it. Because no one answers the question that way. Everyone says, busy, got stuff on, yeah, not bad. What does that mean? Not good? Everyone is, is constantly under pressure. And a lot of us run faster thinking our pace is what will build more momentum. So if we just increase the pace of our life, if we increase and do more study, if we do more, uh, you know, work, if we do more exercise, whatever. If we just increase the pace, then my momentum, my fruitfulness, my success will increase. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.11, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. So if the race isn't to the swift or the battle to the strong, where does fruitfulness and blessing come from? In the kingdom of God, momentum is created not by how busy you are, but by how obedient you are. That's why you've got to cultivate the kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit that you can hear His voice in your life. You hear His voice through His Word. You hear His voice in your heart. You can hear His voice through um, spiritual encounters, be it dreams in the night, visions, through other believers, through the preaching of his word, through prayer, through worship. We have got to cultivate the kind of relationship where we can hear the word of God in our lives. Because not only does faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but momentum increases the more obedient you are to what God is asking you to do. Many of us look for open doors. Oh, is that an open door? And if it's an open door, that could be God. 
But I want to encourage you, stop looking for open doors and start seeking first the kingdom of God and open doors will come to you. You see, I learned a long time ago, and sometimes I forget it like we all do of the great truths in our lives, but I learned a long time ago, I am not the doorkeeper, God is my doorkeeper. He opens doors, he shuts doors. And the doors that God shuts, there's no use me trying to run around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to open that door. It's not opening. I read a promise somewhere in Revelation 3.8. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. The doors that God opens, no man can shut. And the doors that God shuts, you can't open. So rather than running around trying that door, getting busier, Stop, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. All the doors you need for your job, relationships, finances, every area of your life will start to open to you. It's not how fast you run, it's the message you carry that counts. And if you build your life upon the rock of God's word, then when the door of life and career and destiny and purpose opens to you, you will have something to contribute. You know, I always, when I'm coaching preachers, I say, it's not that you have to speak that is the issue. It's do you have anything worth listening to? People are like, I've just got to speak. I've just got to preach. I've just got to say something. I've got to get on my soapbox and let the world know. And it's like, it's not about you having to speak. It's about whether you've got anything to say. And often in life, you apply it to your study, to your work, to your relationships. We want so desperately something to happen. My question is, are you ready when opportunity opens to you? Are you prepared? Are you ready? Because I've learned in my own ministry, in just what I'm doing now, it's not about what happens in this moment. It's about what happened 10 years ago. And five years ago, and five months ago, and five weeks ago, and five hours ago. That's what counts when it comes to the doors that God wants to open to you. And lastly, we get the thief and the Lord mixed up when we choose worry over worship. Worry over worship. Do you know right now the stats tell us Australia is the most prosperous nation per capita on planet Earth? And... It's amazing to me how over 50% of Australians will at some point in their lives experience a severe extreme mental health issue. At least once in the most prosperous nation on earth. And the root cause of that mental health issue by and large will be anxiety of some kind. Philippians 4.8 in contrast to this says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This morning, I talked about how to pray and get results. The primary purpose of prayer is about petitioning God so that God's will, God's glory, God's purposes can be established in your life. But one of the benefits and byproducts of prayer is that you get set free from anxiety. That worry doesn't dominate your life. Why? Because prayer is another form of worship. 
Prayer is acknowledging God, you are my, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm not Lord of my life. You are my Lord and I worship you. I live for you. And when you choose worship over worry, God turns your battles into blessings. You see, if you know how to worry, you know how to worship. Because worry is actually worshipping your fear as Lord. Faith is worshipping Jesus as Lord. But what worry does is worry elevates the fear to the point of of being on the throne of our lives. 99.9999% of your fears never happen. Never occur. Most of the things we worry about. Rejection, fear of death, fear of flying, all these sorts of things. We worried about what's going to happen. Nearly 100% of those things never happen. Do bad things happen? Yeah, sometimes. But you could spend your life paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by worry. And if you do, you've bought into the lies of the thief. Don't get the thief and the Lord mixed up in your life. There are some burdens, there are some worries that some of us are carrying right now, God never intended you to carry. That's why he says, cast your burden upon me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Think about the disciples in the middle of the boat on the storm, uh, in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The waves are threatening to sink the boat. They're freaking out. They forget who is in the boat with them. One of the names for Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? And so they go and wake up the Prince of Peace. Now, even if the Prince of Peace is asleep in your boat, you're going to be okay. But they wake Jesus up and they're like, don't you care that, you know, we're about to die? And Jesus is looking at them like, chill out, take a chill pill. My goodness, that's in the original Greek. And, and just chillax. I mean, my gosh, don't you know who's with you in the boat? My name is the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. And sometimes what happens in our lives, like the disciples, the waves of life threaten to sink us and, and to destroy us. You've got to remember who is in your boat. You've got to remember the Prince of Peace is in your life. The key is turn your worry into worship. It was amazing. After Jesus got up, peace be still. He calmed the storm. The Bible says the disciples worshipped Jesus. They were in awe of Jesus as the Son of God. And, and, and if you would be just captivated this year by the goodness and the grace of Jesus in your life, worry will not have a stronghold in your life. It will not be able to take you out. One evening when I was away preaching, my kids, my three kids heard a knock at the front door. My wife was out the back downstairs with our demon-possessed dog, Maverick, and was trying to perform all manner of spirit dances and throwing holy water to get that thing to just, you know, manifest and be delivered. And so my wife is distracted out in the backyard. My kids are upstairs with their cousin, and this knock comes at the front door. It's not just one knock. It's not just two knocks. It's a persistent knock. They freeze. They, they, they just start to panic, particularly their cousin. And they're freaking out. 
I don't know why they didn't just go down and tell their mother, hey, there's someone at the front door. That, that would be common sense. But no, there's some of that still needing to grow. And so, you know, we've told our kids, if anyone knocks at the front door and we're out taking the dog for a walk or we're in another part of the house and we don't hear it, do not answer the front door. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's Jesus. Don't answer the front door. Well, maybe we could change that. And so I just said, don't answer the front door. And so they're, they're, they're just frozen. They're, they're freaking out. And, to, and, and they're looking at the door. And there's not only knocking now, the door handle's moving up and down. They race downstairs to their mother. And, and they're, you know, my wife is trying to interpret the panic language of what's going on. And this puts fear and worry into my wife. This is a true story. So my wife comes inside, walks up the stairs and pokes her head around in the the, the walkway of our house at the front door and they're still knocking. This is now 10 minutes later. The door handles being, and my wife is so afraid she yells out, go away or I'll call the cops. (laughs) 10 seconds later, my kids are thinking, it, you know, Stephen King, it, the clown, is about to come and take us. You know, like, you know, Chelsea speaking in tongues and it's getting wild in my house, right? Finally, my wife goes around to the bedroom window and she looks out the bedroom window only to see the local Thai restaurant delivery car in our driveway and she remembers. About 40 minutes ago, she rang up for takeaway tie. She goes around to the front door and is so embarrassed. She opens the door and here is a humble Thai man going prawn cracker at the front door. My wife is like, I am so sorry. I was going to call the cops on you. I forgot. My wife got the thief and the Thai delivery guy mixed up. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. I read somewhere, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And I realize that's exactly what Jesus Christ does on the door of our heart all the time. He calls us to go and speak to that person. He asks us to lay aside our worries, our condemnation and our isolation, to live a life in intimacy and in community and in right relationships relationship with him and we get the thief and the Lord mixed up. We think someone's knocking on the door of our heart to take something from us when in fact it's God himself trying to add something to us. You see tonight God is knocking on the door of your heart. He's wanting to bless you with something. He's wanting to give you something and he's actually wanting to take a burden, a sin, a regret, a shame from you to change your life. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Lord appeared was to destroy the works of the thief. In 2018, my prayer is is that you would not get the thief and the Lord mixed up. Stop entertaining the lies of the thief. Stop listening to the voice of the thief that says, Never go back there again. Never do that again. Never open up your mouth and witness again. Never invite someone to church again. Never try and live holy and live right again. 
It doesn't work. It hasn't helped you. Stop listening to that voice. And start listening to that voice that's going to lead you into abundant life. A voice of conviction. Keep a short account of sin with God. We are going to make mistakes. You are going to sin at times. Don't let that paralyze you. But make a decision. God, I confess it. God, fill me with your spirit. Cleanse my heart. Help me to change my attitude towards that person. Don't live in isolation. Become a part of the community of faith. Join a small group. Get someone that you pray with on a regular basis. Get some leader to speak into your life. Find a mentor. Do something that will commit you to be a part of this thing called the bride of Christ. Stop being so busy trying to make it all happen in your own strength. Listen, if you want it to be by his spirit, it can't be by your might or power. So if it can't be by your might and power, stop being so busy that it's all resting on your effort. You know, I was just in in worship tonight and the Holy Spirit said to me, if you pray more, you'll perspire less. If you pray more, you perspire less. And I just began to think about that in the context of our lives and how we work so hard and we, 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 we exhaust ourselves and God's like, let me do the heavy lifting for you. And finally, turn your worry into worship. In fact, that's what I want to do right now and just ask the team to come because I want us to stand together and I want us to worship over our worries this year. Maybe you're worried about something in your career or in your studies or in your relationship or even in your walk with God. You know what? Let's worship over our worry. Why don't you stand to your feet tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.